Picking up in verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. When the owner of the house became angry, then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Well, it's always a pleasure to come to Midtown and I've uh, given myself or together we've given me a challenge this morning, how to preach this passage without it being guilt trip or shaming or do's and don'ts, or suddenly you feel terrible about your guest list for Thanksgiving dinner. Jesus didn't tell parables in order to guilt trip or shame or give do's and don'ts. He did it to shape our worldview. Now, a shaped worldview will, in fact, in the end, shape our behavior as well. But Jesus had lots of wonderful meal times with just his best friends. If that's what you're planning for this Thursday, do it. But the parable does intend to shape our worldview, and that will ultimately shape our lives. So we got lots to do and little time. Let's jump into it. If you've ever encountered this parable before, you've probably heard an interpretation or thought an interpretation that goes something like this. Jesus is using a parable to describe the heavenly banquet. And the main point is that you better say yes when you get invited. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on it. That's the way it's usually interpreted. Now, sometimes that interpretation gets way more elaborate, like we try to figure out, so who corresponds to the different characters in the story? Who are the rich neighbors that were invited first? Well, Jesus invited Pharisees, scribes, leaders, they all said no to him, so he went to the ordinary people. In fact, often it was the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And sometimes he really shocked people by going outside all normal boundaries. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, even the Gentiles. Because you see, God's banquet hall will be filled, and if some say no, he just invites others. Now, it's a pretty widespread interpretation, but it's not without some problems. Like, is it really true that Jesus went to the ordinary Jews because there weren't enough upstanding, fine, powerful religious leaders who said yes. Otherwise, the banquet would have been full already and they never would have got the message to anybody else. Or is it really true that 
The only reason the Gentiles got in was because there weren't enough Jews who said yes. Like, somehow this interpretation isn't without at least some problems, and interpreters usually solve the problem really easily. They just say, every parable just makes one point, don't press any of the details. So the one point is, if you're invited, don't say no, or you'll miss the banquet. Doesn't feel to me like Jesus would have needed that elaborate a parable if all he wanted to say was, make sure you say yes if you're invited. There must be something about those details that really do shape the way we hear this parable. So this morning, I want to propose another way to read the parable. In fact, two, perhaps. Uh, the first proposal I want to make, I'm going to give the credit to Joel Green, who was the primary shaper of the way I now read this parable. And it depends on reading it in its cultural context. So let's try that. I wonder if you've ever puzzled over the, the double invitation in this text. A guest list went out long ago, and then suddenly at the end, Okay, please come to my banquet long after all the RSVPs had been collected and then they don't come after all. Why two invitations? Was he worried they'd forgotten? Did he think they needed persuasion? Well, the truth is, back then, every host always gave two invitations. And there were some really good cultural reasons for that. Now, part of the reason is just obvious. They didn't carry iWatches, or I actually have a Fitbit watch right now. It's the only one I'm carrying. But uh, they didn't have these with timers and reminders and all these kinds of things. And the host didn't have a meat thermometer or an oven timer or didn't hire a caterer who was going to guarantee that at a certain time the food would be... Like, you didn't have all those extra precautions to make sure that everybody arrives exactly when everything's ready. You prepared your meal and then you have to let the word out, okay, it's ready now, please join us for the meal. So that second invitation is pretty obvious. But you needed one far sooner, as we also do only for a very different reason. Now, big events require long-range planning. In fact, if it's a really big event, then you first send out a save-the-date announcement, and then later on you get the invitation, and then you start collecting your RSVPs. And I'm sure you face the situation I've faced sometimes when a really attractive invitation comes and your calendar is already full and you're not sure what to do and how you can juggle things and who you can cancel and we did it last night we had tickets to an orchestra concert and my wife got an invitation to a theater and we double booked and we forgot and went in two different directions last night back then you needed a long-range introduction for a totally different reason Almost every evening was available to have fellowship with your friends in the village. But you needed to plan these events because they were not just meals to celebrate. They were not just, let's have a good time as a bunch of friends. Back then, banquets were highly 
symbolic events designed to measure and enhance social standing. To figure out and improve one's degree of honor and prestige. Like you didn't invite just anyone to your dinner. If somebody lower on the honor scale than I was going to be at my table, my standing would drop. The ideal would be to invite people just a little higher on the social scale than myself, and then my honor will be pulled upward. Of course, I can't risk inviting people way above me because they would decline and then my honor goes back down. Lots of evidence for that, and some of it is in the texts that we already heard. So a typical first century banquet always had a long-range invitation because people needed time to decide, am I going to accept or decline this invitation? I'm likely to accept if it's going to enhance my social standing, and I'm going to decline if it might do the opposite. In addition, accepting has implications. I will be obligated to return the favor and provide a banquet at least as fancy as the one that I'm planning to attend. Moreover, you're watching closely who else was invited and who else is planning to come because I'm only going to come if associating with these people enhances my social standing. So the guests need lots of time to figure out whether they should say yes or no. But the host needs time too, because once the RSVPs come in, he can start planning the meal. He didn't have freezers and refrigerators. So if it's a real smashing success, they'll kill the fatted calf. And if it's just not quite as successful as they had hoped, it'll probably be a goat or a lamb. Or maybe a chicken if the whole thing really falls flat. And then when the food's ready, they say, all right, it's time to come. And the second invitation goes out. And now it would be completely unthinkable to say, oh, I'm not coming after all. You just didn't do that. And then give a shoddy excuse yet too. No, nobody does that. Except in Jesus' parable, every single one of them did that. It seems pretty obvious that Jesus is describing a plot to embarrass and bring down the social standing of the host. So what's the point of the parable? Well, we need a little more work, and then I'll summarize that for you. Luke helpfully provides us with the context of the parable of Jesus. And once we've looked at the social, I mean, sorry, the cultural context, social con context, we need to look at the literary context too. So you heard it read. Luke 14 opens with an introduction to the context. Jesus is at a banquet, invited by a rich man who hopes that his standing will improve because, after all, the famous teacher is in the room. And then a controversy develops because there is a man with dropsy, is the original term that most translators used. This translation said abnormal swelling of the body, which is exactly what it was. 
Now, when I was a kid, I didn't know that. I thought dropsy was, you, you, you drop things. Butterfingers is the way my mother would have called it. No, dropsy was in fact an abnormal swelling of the body because you have an insatiable thirst that can't be quenched. And it became a symbol and a metaphor for people seeking honor and never getting enough. So here in the room is a man who seeks honor. Testing, one, two, three, we're good. <laughs> All right, where are we? So a man with physical dropsy is healed by Jesus, and Jesus knows there's at least one man, if not many, in the room who have a much more serious dropsy problem that he is about to address. He has a cure for this kind of dropsy too, but it's a bitter pill to swallow. So he begins his conversation. Well, you guests, you all picked the wrong seats to sit in because after all, you just might lose this honor game if somebody shows up with more honor and you have to move down. In other words, the game works well when it works and it backfires badly when it doesn't work. So he sarcastically gives them all this wonderful advice on how to play their own game better, but ends with the bottom line. True honor isn't clamored for. It's not gained by pushing other people down. It's a gift, freely given. And then he turns to the host and basically says, you, sir, you invited all the wrong people to your dinner polite guest conversation. You invited your friends. Imagine that. Your relatives and rich neighbors, what were you thinking? You invited people from your own social class who could pay you back. All wrong. But in his world, of course that's what you do. That's what you always do. And Jesus says, we're talking about a different world, a different kingdom, a different value system. Your guest list should have included the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind who can't repay you. And guess what? You'd be really richly repaid because you'll be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus is contrasting the honor-seeking, power-seeking ways of this world with the upside-down value of the kingdom of God. And then one of the guests, 
utters the sentence that occasions the parable of Jesus. Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And what we've done with the parable then is say, oh, let's go look at how that blessing looks in the kingdom of God. But what if Jesus meant something completely different? What if Jesus wasn't describing the heavenly banquet, but an earthly banquet put on by a host who starts out with all the wrong values, the values of status-seeking and power-hungry, clamoring for social standing, and discovers that it can backfire when all his rich friends decide to embarrass him by dropping out at the last minute. And suddenly he thinks there's another world with new values, the one that Jesus was talking about. And so he's converted. And he takes on the values of the kingdom and he does exactly what Jesus said he should do. He goes out and invites the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And when there's still room, he compels to come in the tax collectors, the sinners, the Gentiles, because he now lives by the values of the kingdom of God. So what can he expect? They're not going to repay him, but they'll be part of his wonderful community of people who graciously give each other honor as a gift. And one day he will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. So the traditional interpretation is, here's the, king, the resurrection banquet. Here's who's going to be sitting at the table in the kingdom of God. And Joel Green comes along and says, what if this is who's supposed to be sitting at our tables? I suggested before there might be yet another alternative. Why don't we just have it both ways? Does Jesus ever ask us to adopt values that Jesus didn't first practice? Does God ever want to transform our hearts to take on things that God isn't also first to do for us? So what if the parable is about how God invites us freely and graciously to God's banqueting table? and then reshapes our hearts so we, in turn, invite anyone whom God loves, and therefore we love, to share our banquet tables. And then we get repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. Why can't we have it both ways? Don't most of Jesus' parables work both ways? Think about some of the familiar ones, like the prodigal son. It's about God, our loving Heavenly Father, welcoming back home the sinner. But it's also asking us to make sure we respond to people willing to come home, not like an older brother who judges and rejects, but like a father who welcomes with open arms. So God does it first and then invites us to be just like that. Or the good shepherd who goes after the one sheep that wandered away. That's God going after even me. But so also we are the ones 
who care so much about the family of God that we're willing to go to the ends of the earth to bring in people and bring them back. In this parable, I want to put it this way. It's a parable that applies yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, God invited me to his banqueting table. Today, I get to invite others to the banqueting table. And in the forever, we'll all be together at that banqueting table. And the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame will be the equally rich, healed, sight-given fellow members of God's family. And the Gentiles will be fellow members with the Jews, and we will be a family of people who know that grace was freely given to us. And so we freely give it to all the rest. Amen.